this is John O'Farrell and I'm joined by Angela Barnes. Hello. And together we are doing a... Hello, I'm Angela Barnes. And I'm John O'Farrell. And we're here to talk about history. We're not historians, we're not academics with uh, MAs in the Black Death, but we want to talk about history and be funny about history and be interesting about history. And so we're doing this podcast uh, here in my kitchen in South London. Angela. Hello. Yeah, I'm a, I guess we're history nerds, right? Is that yes, how we... With no academic qualifications in history. Well, you say that I have a B in my history O-level, so... Oh, do you? Yes. Oh, well, I have a B in history... No, I have an A in history GCSE. Oh, OK. So, so I believe that trumps you. That does trump me, except I did it at, his, uh, did it at A-level. And oh, you did A-level? Yeah, I got a... It doesn't sound as funny, does it? And got a, and got a B, I think. No, a C. A C in that. So I think we're between us. Between us, we've got it covered. I, I, I started a history A-level. Have I told you about this? No. I started a history A-level for fun about three years ago. Oh, cool. So I thought it'd be a fun thing to do because I'm, you know, a really exciting person. Right. And um, I started doing it. And then one of the uh, modules was American History... 1948 to 2001. Sounds interesting. It, it was, but I got really depressed that a history A-level contains events that happened when I was 25. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> That's yeah. really depressing. Yes, this is why we've called this podcast We're History. Yeah. Uh, it's very much a reflection about us and where we are, in our, bit, John, where we are in our careers. Um, <laughs> now, I have written a couple of history books, which is why I think Angela approached me about doing this podcast. Uh, one of us needs to know what we're talking about. Well, I've forgotten it all again, actually. So I wrote a book called An Utterly Impartial History of Britain, which was a look back at uh, 2,000 years of uh, British history from uh, Julius Caesar to the end of the Second World War. And um, that was a sort of um, a book for people who, you know, feel they should have been listening at school and wish they understood, uh, you know, the, um, the repeal of the Corn Laws or whatever it was, and now uh, have the chance just to read a lighthearted and easy-to-read book on the subject. And I had listened to it while driving to Devon in okay. my car, the audiobook version of it. Yeah, I wasn't reading it while driving to no, Devon, let me make that very clear. And uh, thought, oh, this is the person I need to do a podcast with. What I feel sorry for is the kids of the future who are going to have to do Brexit in their school history. Oh, God. They're going to go, oh, sir, please, can we do the Corn Laws, not Brexit? <laughs> I wonder if David Cameron realises that he's just going to be, you know, a bad guy in history books for the rest of time. Just because he made them try and understand Brexit. Well, who knows what's going to happen in 100 years' time. Mm. The f- subject we're going to talk about today uh, is nudism, na- naturism, in East Germany, in the uh, German Democratic Republic. We're so, both really interested in nudism, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Speak for yourself, yeah. John O'Farrell. <laughs> I, I'm particularly... Well, this is my area of, of nerdiness, is Cold War history, European Cold War history, really. And uh, East Germany, particularly, I find fascinating. And so we've talked about it in the past, and yes. um, I recommended to you a book that I love called Stasiland by Anna yes. Funder. And then you did some research and came back to me with a very interesting article about nudism. Yes. And I thought, I see how this podcast is going yes. to go. Yes. Well, I think actually we both went separately to the uh, DDR Museum in Berlin. Yes. And there they've got little models of uh, people <laughs> chucking volleyballs over a net uh, in the nude. And uh, obviously this caught our eye as, you know, uh, avid amateur historians. And we wanted to know more. Why were the East Germans interested in getting their kids off? This, yeah. is, this seemed like an interesting subject for a, a podcast. And we'll probably spin out and talk about East Germany in a, East Germany in a broader manner uh, and about the, you know, the Berlin Wall coming down and all of that. But it seems fascinating to me that there was a means of self-expression in quite a repressive communist state that involved running around in the nude. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that nudism in Germany definitely predates the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. communist era. Yes, um, yes. I, have uh, a, I have this article, actually. Um, um, that's just one of my main sources was uh, an article by Josie McLennan uh, in the uh, University of Chicago Press. And I got this on JSTOR online. It's a good, hearty article about uh, state socialist bodies, East German nudism from band to boom. And she talks, with a bit, a bit of background, she talks about nudism in the Weimar Republic. Do yeah. you know the name of the 
leading nudist in, in Weimar. Adolf you know, Koch. Adolf Koch. What a perfect name. <laughs> it's like, you it's can't like, write that stuff, can you? <laughs> I mean, the name Adolf isn't so fashionable now, is it? No, so, this is pre the other Adolf. Right. So, you it just know, takes one person to spoil it, doesn't it? Really it? Does. it really does. It really does. Adolf, Piers. Yeah. They're all ruined, those <laughs> names now. So... Central Casting wanted a German who was into nudism, and they yeah. said, well, Adolf, it's got to be Adolf Koch. <laughs> uh, so that's Koch, K-O-C-H. He was the leading Weimar nudist. I don't know how you get to be in such a position. But yeah, it was, I don't know, I think it's quite a German thing, isn't it? And it still is. Last Christmas, I went on holiday to Fuerteventura in the Canary Islands for Christmas. And we just, we sort of booked a place online without really, we booked it very last minute. When we got there, it was a sort of resort very much aimed at German people. Yes. And the beach that was on the hotel was a, what they call an FKK beach, which is Freier Kurper Culture. Right. Um, Free body culture. Free body culture, the German nudist movement. Yeah. And um, so that, and that's still a massive thing, FKK in, in German Right. And we we do sort of associate. There is something about, German the about of, the first rule of naturism of nudism is that the last people that you want to see naked are the first to get their kit off. Yeah, on the absolutely, beach. <laughs> <That's>, absolutely. <laughs> you don't, you know. So over here, maybe we're a little bit they're more mature than we are. And oh, we're, we're, we're terribly um, Victorian oppressed and, yeah. and Victorian, and and still think it's puerile and yeah, giggly, giggly. I mean, people do podcasts and just giggle about nudism. Who, yeah. who can imagine such who a would thing? do that? I had a friend <laughs> who's um, married a. Um, German girl, got engaged to a German girl. And so he had to go meet her parents. And they said, oh, come round to the house and we'll have a sauna. Ooh. And so on the t- day he met his future in-laws, he was standing there in the buff uh, in this sauna going, and so what's your job? And he's really, feeling really self-conscious. Oh, God. I, I mean, it? I'm just thinking of my in-laws right now and yeah. how that just would never, could never happen. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, so nudism was this big thing in the DDR. A bit of background on each... Germany, maybe. Yeah, okay. So after World War II, yes. um, Germany obviously defeated by the Allies. Oh, God. Yeah, huh? I was going to do that. Spoiler alert. Podcast. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and uh, basically was kind of divvied up to the Allied powers. So mm-hmm. Germany was divided into East and West yes. Germany. And then Berlin, which was the capital, which sits sort of in the eastern side, was divvied up between the Allied powers. So you had East Germany under Soviet control, but within it sat Berlin, um, which was uh, had an American sector, a British sector, uh, uh, a Soviet sector, and a French sector. Yes, so West and East in the end. And West and East in the end. Yes. Um, So to begin with, for the first, uh, you know, sort of 12 years or so, there were border guards set up, but there was still sort of movement of people between... Yes. East and West of Berlin. But of course, what happened as the regime became more oppressive, more people wanted to flee to the West. And uh, there was a a sort of drain in resources in the East of of Germany. So that's why um, in 1961, the Berlin Wall went up to to prevent that movement of people through Berlin from the East to the West. But prior to that, so um, the SED, which is the German Unity Party, uh, were in control. One party state. Party state, yes. yeah. So that'd be under Ulbricht. Under uh, Walter Ulbricht. Ulbricht and yes. um, obviously initially under sort of Soviet control. Yes, Stalin sort of. Um, and now the first uh, uprising against sort of um, uh, Soviet control and the sort of communists happened in East Germany in 1953. Three, and was yep. quite uh, brutally repressed. Absolutely, um, yeah. Uh, but that's not to say that lots of uh, Germans in the East didn't believe in socialism and this uh, reaction to the fascism that had brought such calamity. Well, this is what I think it's easy to forget, is that this happened directly after fascism, you know. Um, So I always find that really fascinating, a regime change that happens so quickly. Yes. And that, um, you know, to get an entire population sort of on board with that regime change, you know, these things don't happen overnight. And you still essentially got people in East Germany who were Nazi party members or were, yes. you know... I've got a strong sense from the Anna Funder book that you recommended to me that uh, there was a general sense in East Germany that the DDR and the East Germans bore no responsibility for the actions of the Nazis. That was something that, that came That was a narrative they else. very much told themselves, yeah. I think. So whereas in the West Germany, they were shown the concentration camps and made to mm-hmm. face up to what had happened and felt the guilt of uh, Nazism, the 
East Germans were sort of taught that fascism came from elsewhere and that they had liberated themselves and the Russians had liberated them from fascism and that really the other side of the Berlin Wall and the West Germany was a continuation of that fascism. Absolutely. Uh, but of course, while West Germany got loads of money under the Marshall Plan, yep. the East Germans had to pay loads of money to uh, in rep- war reparations to, yeah. to Russia. To That's Soviet something I got Union. from uh, this Mary Fulbrook's book, The People's State, which is uh, East German society from Hitler to Honecker, which is a, which is a, a jolly old read. Um, <laughs> so tell us a bit more about... Um, what you read in Stasiland. That's, I think that's, my, that's a book I'd recommend the most about this period. Stasiland is, is written by um, Anna Funder, who's an Australian journalist yes. who lived in West Berlin in the late 80s. So towards the end of the regime, the Berlin Wall came down on the 9th of November 1989, my 13th birthday. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Me and David Hasselhoff, we did it. So she was living in, in West Berlin, but she was friends with a lot of East German dissidents who had been... Uh, uh, sort of exiled to East Germany because what um, East Germans or, or the state had in East Germany they didn't really have other communist states didn't have was a means of expelling dissidents very easily right, by just course. sending them to West Germany right. um, or often the West German authorities would buy essentially right. dissid- you know if if people were them to come over yeah absolutely right. so she she had made friends with people from the East and then when the wall came down, obviously she witnessed what happened, yeah. and and, the, and she'd heard stories from the people that she met, you know, about the regime in the east and and uh, and how it was how it conducted itself basically. And then after the wall came down, we learned about just how oppressive that state had been. Yeah. So, yes. um, you so had Eric Honecker at, at the time the wall came down. Eric Honecker was the leader of, yes. uh, or the Politburo essentially, oh, or the so, um, yeah. SED. I was writing. I was writing for a spitting image at that time, and I had this sketch ready called Challenge Honecker, which is oh, based, oh, on that's the, based on the Annika Rice <laughs> program. And I thought, oh, this is. I've got to get my. Oh, don't fall, don't collapse, government. I want to get now. my. Not until I've got Challenge Honecker out on spitting image. Uh, there we are. The real victim. I think the real victim of the, the end of the Cold War is me because my sketch didn't get to go out, and um, <laughs> and Honecker's regime fell before we could uh, do that rather contrived pun. I've got a note here about Stasiland. Page eight. I've got pants in jars. Tell me about right. Pants okay. In jars. Well, so what Anna Funder did in Stasiland, her book, which again, I mean, really recommend. I've read it three times now. I love it. Um, she took the stories of four uh, East Germans who, during the regime, each in their own way, sort of resisted the regime yes. or, or came up against the yes. regime in different ways. But the other thing she did as part of her book was interview ex-Stasi men uh, from the Minna Club as they called it the Man's Club and she learned about lots of different processes that the Stasi which was the state secret police had used in order to control and um, track and sort of yeah yeah, really you know what what people need to understand about East Germany is it was a surveillance state yes and at times during that regime one in five people was a Stasi informer that's incredible isn't it and Uh, you had people informing on their husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and um and really the intensity and level of that wasn't really known until after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the Stasi were incredible administrators in that they their file keeping was there are more written records from the 40 years of of communist rule in East Germany than the, in the rest of German history altogether. Wow. Okay. Um, and that's a very expensive and time-consuming project, I suppose. Absolutely. So what happened when, <clears throat> when the wall fell and the Stasi offices were sort of taken over, yeah. um, just rooms and rooms full of, of files were found. Which they were shredded. Which a lot of them were shredded. Yeah. Um, and there's but, still these women pinning these... These, Absolutely, these that, women that's something together. that's been going on for years yeah. and, and probably will take another hundred years before it, try and it'll be finished to reassemble people's files. Wow. But the pants in jars that oh, yes, you're talking about pants in jars. Um, <laughs> was they, they found that Stasi men would go into people's apartments and steal, usually underpants, but yeah. a, an item of clothing from people as a sort of smell sample. Yes. That, and they would keep them in jars. Okay. It's a and hobby. So, 
it's sort of an early <laughs> DNA database kind right. of thing. And um, the idea being that if in the future, you know, they would be able to track people. With dogs and stuff. With dogs using wow. this sense. So they had these enormous collections. Of pants. Of pants in jars. jars. Okay. Um, I remember seeing this in uh, that brilliant film, The Lives of Others. Yes. Which I thoroughly recommend. Uh, yeah. And what I got a sense from that film is just the sort of seamless... Uh, transition from Nazi oppression to communist oppression and yeah. how the sort of apparatus of the state just sort of flipped and um, people were beaten down and spied on and mm. had no freedom of expression, uh, you know, in, up to 1945 because of the Nazis and after 1945 because of the communists. But I just love this image of these rooms rooms full of underpants and jars yeah. and just <laughs> yeah, the, the idea that not changing your underpants regularly helped the, uh, the the oppressive secret police. Um, so that, if you take nothing else away from this podcast, it's remember to which, yeah, wear remember clean pants. Clean pants or the Stasi will get you. I mean, there are <laughs> so many, as you say, so many Stasi operators that they yeah. would infiltrate uh, demonstrations. And there was a case where this demonstration was made to look much bigger than it actually was because so many of the people in the demonstration were infiltrating. Yeah, I mean, that would happen quite often. Yeah. There would be uh, meetings of people, usually sort of church meetings yes. where the resistance started. Yes. And they would hold these meetings. So they're really well attended, but it would turn out most of them were <laughs> Stasi infiltrators. <laughs> and actually, really... it was quite poorly attended <laughs> by the protesters, but it just made it look like they yeah, had this so, uprising. So it's counterproductive. That's yeah. Hilarious. And then, um, you know, there was a sense that if you start spying on somebody, everyone becomes an enemy once you start spying on them because you're trying to find something uh, Yeah, I mean, it was a paranoid regime, an incredibly paranoid regime. Obviously, in a state of paranoia, that's when things become oppressive and that's where your freedoms are curtailed. Freedom to take your clothes off became one that you could. Well, initially it wasn't, of course. So um, under Walter Ulbricht in the sort of late 40s, early 50s, it was very much um, seen as being um, a bourgeois yes. activity uh, for the middle classes, yes. the naked bathing. It was seen as um, not... The early communists very much, you know, were about work and working together and rebuilding yeah. a, or building a communist state. And so anything outside of that pursuit was seen as frivolous and, yeah. you know, a waste of your time and energy. Yes. I mean, when I saw that uh, exhibition in the DDR Museum in Berlin, they um, they sort of presented the nudism thing as a way to protest against a repressive regime. But the more I read about it, that's a bit simplistic, I felt. Yeah. And that they, uh, there was a, a tradition of nudism in Germany under the Weimar Republic and be, you know before even that. But as you say, it was quite a thing uh, practiced by the intelligentsia and the yeah. ordinary workers were a little bit dubious about it. Yeah. So it was presented as a sort of a bit of a class issue. It was, 50s. although there was evidence that, um, you know, farmers would bathed naked in their fields and, yes. and think that there was quite um i think the, during the weimar period and and actually during the nazi period there's quite a freedom for nudism yeah. but what's interesting i think about the nudists in the communist era, era is that many of them were party members yes they and and the clash came not from people against the socialist regime the clash came from people saying no nudism is a is socialist should be seen as socialist yes. and more progressive than the regime actually well we should put this to Jeremy Corbyn and Diane Abbott that's the oh god t- oh, true... a little bit of sick just came up <laughs> true <laughs> socialism means you know being naked and that certainly would have livened up my old Labour Party meetings <laughs> I must say if we if we practice you that you couldn't but... uh, you know be annoyed of Anorak being scruffy if he's not wearing anything could you yeah but the, so well, the way I from what I got from this uh, Josie McLennan article was that there had been lots of nudism sort of organisations but uh, when um, sort of the East German state asserted itself in 1949, everything was brought under the sort of Kulturbond and had to be either an official communist organisation or part of the army or part of the state or part of the official culture. And they were left out of that. The naturists were left out of it. And so yeah. being a nudist 
wasn't in itself illegal, but being an, in an organization of nudists was not allowed. And so that's yeah. how it started to be sort of, uh, they started to get themselves into trouble. But they did then later try to ban and, and confine nudism. But there was incredible sense of civil disobedience among these committed nudists who believed it was a socialist thing to do to take your kit that's off. That's right. It was a very different act of defiance, I think. It wasn't an act of defiance against the regime. No, they felt that they were more, more socialist. Absolutely and sort of trying to convince the regime no look this healthy, is healthy and freedom and you yeah. know for healthy workers and very yeah. much the Adolf Koch the guy we yes. talked about yes, with the great before who, he was very much about um, a healthy body I mean yeah. now when I read about Adolf Koch I do think oh there's some you know he, he sort of promoted nude gymnastics and yes like and that. there's slightly, a part of me that goes oh is that alright yeah, so we can let our teenage kids go off to Albert Cock and his nude gymnastics you'd be a spit nervous yeah as a I parent think, I think you'd yeah. be a bit oh. but uh, it was not sexual at all that's the whole thing about it yeah, so yeah. I remember when I was at school the magazine that got passed around the playground uh, was H&E so this was the health and efficiency the nudists magazine it was the first oh, really? magazine oh, no. that, that, that um, where you could see pubic hair because then when I'm so old that when I was a kid um, there was no pubic hair in, in, in soft ball mags right. and um, that was still banned And but H&E because it was a naturist magazine you could see everything, everything. <laughs> but it was like oh I don't want to look at some old lady so it's like skip the page of the old lady and the old bloke playing table tennis and just get to that picture there where there's a couple of young girls playing volleyball and then that was the one but what is um, it with volleyball i think there should be research done on the link between volleyball and naturism there's definitely i know it's a, a, a and table tennis they're always playing bloody table tennis yeah. but i mean the, the whole point about it, it was healthy it was yeah. healthy and it was uh was fresh air being outdoors in the fresh air with no clothes on yeah and and breaking down all your inhibitions i suppose yeah and and the other thing that's worth mentioning is back in the 30s and 40s and 50s swimming costumes were thick woolen uh, garments no lycra so you were swimming coming out of the pool with this big heavy wet woolen costume and so that wasn't a particularly pleasant thing to lie around in the sun and also some nudists uh, as part of their campaign used the prohibitive cost of a swim of swimwear i know as a as a sort of um way to to yeah. Promote nudism. And then yeah. when they were uh, getting in trouble with uh, the authorities, because they, they were said you're not allowed to be naked on the beach, some of the nudists started to wear ties and, yes. and walk around just wearing a tie <laughs> and say, I'm not naked, look, I'm wearing this tie. So that yeah. was their sort of, uh, their, their protest. Now, quite often the, the authorities didn't want to get into the detail of it and didn't want to talk about it. They found it a little bit uh, embarrassing. But the repression was sort of, you know, not systematic or not uh, particularly organised. It was sometimes just uh, police fines or policemen who had an objection to yeah. it. Well, what would happen then? You'd have you'd have the state police coming and, um, you know, uh, to where people were bathing naked, and yeah. uh, then there would be a, a conflict, you know, and and then questions were raised about, well, is this the best use yes. of? Yes. I mean, I've got a note here that the police justified the change of heart with a hefty dose of moral panic. They claimed that nudists had stripped innocent passersby of their clothes and uh, talked about obscene behaviour in public, including in front of children. Or there were accusations that nudists had forced ordinary bathers to take, take remove their clothes, clothes and throw them into the sea naked. And there's no evidence that no, that ever no, actually know, happened. Know, um, it was all part of the propaganda against nudists. But eventually the, uh, the, uh, the Ministry of the Interior described nudity as a threat to the natural and healthy feelings of our working people, which was sort of an insult to the nudists because they believed yeah. that this was the uh, that natural... That they were the healthy, they were, they natural working people. Outdoor, natural, healthy. But just yeah. imagine, you're a... 13-year-old boy in East <laughs> Germany in 1960, uh, 65. You're looking over the border. Your cousin, who's on the other side of the wall, has got Beatles records and jeans <laughs> and is allowed to have access to Radio Luxembourg or whatever. And you have to go on holiday, with a hiking holiday with Auntie, you know, uh, Velma in the nude. <laughs> so, uh, yes, walking around... Uh, Never mind, darling. Don't worry about the um, absence of Levi's. You're going to be playing you table tennis. Where you're going. No, you're going to be playing table tennis with grandma in the nuddy. Oh, Those poor dear. bastards. Um, but, you know, maybe they thought it was healthy. Well, if maybe that's they... the way you've been brought up, then... And that's the idea, isn't it? Is to demystify the sexualisation. We're talking about this with a very British, well, you know, sort of seaside postcard, Benny Hill kind yes, of and I think we... heritage that we think of nudism. Am I right in thinking that you had 
nudism in your family I did my dad was a nude but weirdly my so my parents divorced when I was quite young yes. and I to this day I'm not sure how they were ever married to each other because they're very different right um, but my dad uh, certainly was more liberated shall we say okay. and um, and it, it transpired later on I mean my dad as I was older, ran a sex shop for a living. So that's a... Right, you know, okay. Gives you a little bit of an idea. But, but that's um, interesting, that's nudism and sex sort of... Uh, well, yeah. yeah, but they were very separate things. Yeah, okay. Him. For him, right. And um, for him, he would go on sort of nudist holidays. Right. And, and I only really learned about this as an adult, but he would go away when I was a kid, or works holidays in right. inverted commas. And he was going to to nudist camps and and, wow. um, and that was a, a way of life. He, but I think because my mum wasn't, it was right. never at home. It was never a yeah. thing that I was exposed to, for want of a better right, word. Right, right. Um, and did you ever talk to him about it? Or no, not really. It was all very... I was all very... It's, although my dad was very liberal, because yeah. I was his daughter. Yeah. He actually, I, he, you know... He didn't want to take you on a nudist holiday or anything. No, it never, no. ever... It never came up. Yeah, I, I, I remember the moment that I was like, oh, hang on. Because I'd sort of had an idea that he... Yeah. That's what, you know, he was... And then I was at his house one day and I was on the phone to my friend uh, on a landline. You know? Yeah, the old days. And, um, and I, I, there was like a pile of papers and yes. sort of bills and things by the phone. And I was just idly kind of flicking yeah. through them on the phone. And I found an invite to a nudist barbecue. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Right. And so when dad came, I just moved it to the top of the pile. And then when dad came home, I went, oh, just be careful when you're cooking the sausage. <laughs> but that's when I, I was... He yeah. sort of realised that I knew, and he, but we never really went, okay. you know, he never said, oh, do you want to come on a nudist holiday? And I just absolutely, my answer would have been, no. Absolutely, not with your parents. <laughs> no, because no. that's, I just, that's what makes me... If you've been brought up that way yeah, I... as a child, then it would be different. But, you know, I was in my 20s by then. It was, <laughs> it was too late, that ship had sailed. Yes. My, I mean, the only time I've ever got my clothes off is when I was a university student and there was a lovely hot summer the year we graduated and we'd finished our finals and we used to go in and break into the us the university i was at exeter had a swimming pool and we'd climb over the fence at night and we'd all go skinny dipping in the pool and um we were young and drunk and yeah. uh it was a we, we felt there was a sort of association of freedom with it of having finished our de- exams and we knew the guy who was in charge of the swim pool and every night he would turn up the heating and the pool to maximum and um we dive in this boiling hot water and muck around and you know oh. uh, play f- f- football around and stuff and then they got the bill for the heating for this uh, uh, swimming pool and the guy was sacked on the spot. Oh, and the, our, our golden summer was over. Oh. Uh, but it felt like this, you know, it's sort of quite magical sort of couple of months in uh, yeah. when, the, when the, the university was empty and we were living on an exeter and just, uh, and having this sort of um, fun time just being drunk and naked oh, and, you know, wonderful. and sort of young. Was uh, it? Was one there, tear from my eye those golden days. Because <laughs> I know as in the back to East Germany in the sort of 60s and the 70s when the regime basically loosened up a bit. I, I think particularly after Honecker came in in 71, he yeah. had a much more sort of commercial attitude than Albrecht. I mean, was still a communist, but yeah. rules were relaxed. Yes. Um, to the point where actually I think by then it was accepted as they were socialist values to be... Basically, they, they gave up trying to oppose it. Yeah. Um, and the... Um, and co-opted it. Actually, they co-opted think, it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so by the time, uh, as you say, by the time of the seventies, uh, there were uh, many, many nudist beaches, many places where uh, there were lakes, inland lakes, where people could go swimming naked, and it was approved and common. I think I read a statistic that the uh, Germans had more sort of um, allotments and dakas than any other country because they all lived in these tiny little flats in sort of mm. East Berlin and they all had their, their, their city dwelling was so sort of grim. They all went out to the countryside a lot more and they had a real culture of, um, of getting out of town and just sort of enjoying the countryside. Yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting about as it, it did become more of a socialist pursuit is then what happens is... Yeah. Um, the the sort of old school nudists yeah. started to there, there was conflict between them and the new young sort of hippie nudists because we're talking about yes. the sixties and the seventies yes. now yes um, you know and and although it, you know they didn't have Western 
culture to a certain extent. They yes. did get Western radio. You did get those influences did creep across the they border. They did. I mean, it was very hard then, back then. Of course, now we think it's so easy to sort of access anything around the world. But yeah. in, in, in East Berlin, if you had your television aerial pointing west, this was a big sign on top of your house. Oh, that yeah, you the were Stasi a traitor. would be watching you. Yeah, they, so, you, you, so it was quite hard to get information from the west or get yeah. stuff. But radio was one way. But radio was one way. And, and so these influences did creep in. And so then, of course, you had the conflict between the old school nudists and the new sort of... Yeah. sexually free nudists yes. you know, because at this point in the regime Hanukkah did legalise abortion and yes. um, you know morning uh, not morning after but sorry the, the birth control pill and all of that stuff so you then had this conflict between the old school purists of nudists and yes. the young new yes. with, with sexually liberated and free nudists which were a very different attitude yes I mean they, uh, um, the whole idea of uh, socialism and the state I mean we have to remember that lots of people believed in that and it was a and there were lots of you know there wasn't the massive unemployment you had in the west or the homelessness or the drug Mm. use so we always present it as just entirely negative because we've got this sort of western propaganda about it but for example there were every town um Uh, with a population over 50,000, had a breast milk bank. And women gave their breast milk to others who could not produce breast milk, so children had healthy breast milk. And uh, when the uh, Berlin Wall came down, there was 200,000 litres of breast milk stored for the use of uh, um, mothers for babies that, you know, that weren't their own. But you think it's sort of rather wonderful and uh, selfless. Can you imagine now? You know, it would be like you'd have to buy it and try and imagine Britain having a breast milk bank. It well, would be, yeah. It wouldn't happen. But that's, that's the conflict between capitalism and communism, yeah. of course. And, and the thing is, I mean, there's, there's a thing that exists in East Germany now, which I think some, they call it ostalgia, ost being yes. the German word for East. Yes, ostalgia. And there are people that lived under the East German regime who are nostalgic for that time yes. because during that time... Uh, they had jobs and they had yes. um, they housing had and things. Of, but of course, what they didn't have was freedom. They didn't have freedom or freedom of speech or uh, freedom, or freedom of, movement. of movement. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes people challenge, you know, if, you, if you're if you living in East Germany, which um, I, I did an interview recently with Henning Wein, the German comedian, yes. who's West German, but yes. moved to the East after reunification. Yes. And he said even now... That difference between East and West, there's a lot of similarities between the North-South divide in the UK. Right, right. And the East Germans were looked at as being industrialist, uh, you know, and somehow less intelligent and less sophisticated and educated. Yes. Um, And so what happened, of course, after capitalism sort of became the norm after reunification is, you know, what happens in manufacturing areas where capitalism takes over and and people are poor and hungry suddenly where they weren't before, you know, and then to have somebody, to have a a middle-class person say to you, yeah, but now you've got the freedom of movement. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all very well. I can't afford to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So that's a different sort of uh, uh, lack of freedom, isn't it? The freedom Yeah, absolutely. So you can see why... People have that nostalgia for that time. Yeah. But, and, and, and however... Women's rights were, uh, were sort of recognised in a different well, way. I had a really interesting discussion about that with Anna Funder. Right. Um, who so said, you spoke to the author of uh, Stars I spoke to the author yeah. of Stars for a radio programme yes. that I've done. And um, she said it's very easy to sort of go, well, they had quite progressive attitudes to being women, to be... Yeah. You go, well, actually, you know... You, does any of that matter when you're living in a surveillance state, you know, right. where you're, um, you, you know, if somebody, you could be imprisoned without trial right. indefinitely in a so Stasi it's... prison for, you know, if they are suspicious that you might be a dissident, right. you so know, so, so really. So women's rights are sort of a bit of a sort of byline there. Yeah, yeah. you sort of go that that's, you know. I mean, the only thing I'd say is that pay disparity was uh, narrower. Yeah. between men and women in East Germany. And still yeah. today, in companies that operate in the East and the, what, the former East Germany, the, the gap is narrower than it is in, in current West is that Germany. So? Yeah. That's still noticeably different. Yeah. Um, but obviously, um, as you say, it was an incredibly repressive regime and not, not a place where it was easy to live. If you wanted to get a car, so they all drove those Trabants. Yeah. 15, 10 to 15 year waiting list for the crappiest car. For the worst car you've ever seen in your life. This is like a lawnmower, basically, with a sort of plastic yeah. sort of... Ashtray uh, wheels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, just basic things that we take for granted were yeah. not available. Well, things like, um, it's funny, this, and this is to quote Henning Vein, it was interesting. Mm. So when he moved to, to East Germany... Um, he was known as the Vessi, so it's Vessis and Ossies, the right. Western yes, East. Yes, yes, yes. 
And um, he said, you, you suddenly realised that you had nothing in common with these people. Right. And um, the way he put it was, he said, I, you know, I don't know what it's like to live under state surveillance and they don't know what it's like to eat a banana. <laughs> yes, I mean, that surveillance thing, uh, and then talking about the people, the nostalgia thing, I should have mentioned, the, that film, if, if anyone hasn't seen the film, Goodbye Lenin. Yes. It's a great uh, comedy uh, set at the time of the falling of the Berlin Wall. And there's a very patriotic party member uh, mother who's sick in bed and dying. And her children are trying very hard to pretend to her that uh, the wall isn't coming down, that East Germany has has now triumphed over the West yeah. and that the big Coca-Cola poster that appears outside yeah. our window is because Coca-Cola was always an East German invention. It's been, the, the Americans have admitted it. They, 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 they fake a whole TV news channel for their mum. Yeah. And it's a sort of satire on the way that the news and the um, uh, reportage was completely biased and, and, and invented really by the East German. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, you had to watch a state TV channel. There was, there would be, yeah, there's a lovely story about, um, there's a TV program and it's going to annoy me because I can't remember what it was called. Yeah. Um, uh, that was sort of the East German state. Heimat. Uh, no. no, it was, um, there was a very long-running series called Heimat about life in East Germany over the centuries, which is uh, which I haven't seen, but comes highly recommended to me to right. friends Ooh. of mine. Well, you'd love that. It Ooh, goes yeah. from about the 1850s to about the um, to the fall of the wall. I think it's all set in uh, in, in uh, one village in Germany. It runs right through. But yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's an incredible journey that Germany's been through over the sort of you know uh, the whole twentieth century to be this country just divided down the middle, to be. Uh, um, and when I was growing up, I never imagined that it'd become reunified. For me, it'd be like you know North and South Ireland being reunified. I couldn't see that happening. Yeah. Um, and there's a great. There's a great short story by Gunter Grass uh, about the spy who was working for uh, Willy Brandt, the German Chancellor. So the, uh, the West German Chancellor. Sorry, West German Chancellor in 1974 had to resign because uh, Gunter Guillaume, uh, his uh, personal assistant secretary, was an East German spy. And he sets this, Gunter Grass sets this story uh, at the time of the 1974 World Cup finals in West Germany, where East Germany played West Germany. And it's, he's saying, we were playing us. It was Germany yeah. versus Germany. Who do I cheer for? And he'd been exposed at the point of the, just been exposed. And he was in, um, uh, you know, Bad Godesburg prison, uh, being interrogated every day, but following this match. And uh, East Germany beat West Germany 1 0. And the sort of East Germany was very keen on its sport and put a lot of money into, uh, you know, advertising the East German communist brand through sport and pumping drugs into all yeah, the weightlifters. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> uh, But East Germany won this match because the only match between the two. And uh, there's a whole sort of story about um, his identity as a German, you know, and, and feeling conflicted just as his country was conflicted. And uh, there's a whole play about this scandal by Michael Frayn called uh, Democracy, which I uh, also recommend, um, about the Gunter Guillaum scandal that brought down poor Willy Brandt. Um, in 74. So if you're in West Germany and you're looking across East Germany, you're just thinking there's this sort of really ridiculous version of yourself. Mm. Uh, I suppose much like North and South Korea now. You know, how different those countries are. But you're talking, you know, only, you know, in those some people's lifetimes they've seen that change happen. Yeah. Well, they've seen that change. Not only have they seen that change happen, they've seen it happen from, you know, being a Nazi state yes. to that. You know, seen that yes. transformation. And actually what's interesting is, like, after the fall of the Berlin Wall... Yeah. The people that were party members in the East, of course, didn't go anywhere. Those right. people yeah, with those yeah. ideas are still there. Yes. And still in positions of power quite often because they're, you know, yeah. it, it's like lots of them are what we would equate to maybe being in the civil service, you know. So yes, yes. So just whoever on. the regime heads are, yeah, those people carrying out the, what are the same people. And I find that so fascinating that an ideology just changes overnight but you carry on administrating it but those people are still yeah. there you know yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's lots of Anna Funda uh, who wrote Stasiland she went so her book was published in Germany in 2004 yes I think like 12 years after uh, no yes. 15 years after the uh, fall of the Berlin Wall and uh, she did a reading in I think it was Leipzig right and it was in, in the East. old yeah. Stasi building wow uh, where she did a sort of book launch reading and she came out to speak and realised that the front row was wow. all ex-Stasi men. Wow. 
and they'd come and as she started speaking they all got their notepads out and, and started just, and this is 15 years later god they're just and she, like they still habit. think they're they still think they're doing it they've got this control they still think they're doing it you know wow. and then um and they all walked out Oh, and, okay. and then they did it like staged a walkout and she said that happened in a lot of places she went that's to that's sort of quite intimidating isn't it mm, and those those people from the what she calls yeah. the men club the, the right, man, men's right. club you know which is what stars he was essentially sort of, yeah. so that's the other thing as well you say you know about women having more equality in women weren't high up in the no, party or in no, the Stasi no, sure, you know sure, they I'm weren't sure. the, the Stasi hierarchy didn't have women in it no um she tells some great stories in that book. There's, uh, the one I think my very favourite was that there's a, when the Berlin Wall went up, there was a sort of zigzag it did in one part of Berlin. And there was a bit of land that was cut off that was officially the east, but it was sat on the west. So no one dared occupy that, build a shop on it or anything, because it would have been a diplomatic incident to um, occupy some East German land. But eventually, a Turkish family just went, oh, sod that, we're going to start putting a little allotment on it. And they started to grow vegetables, and they started to sell these vegetables. And everyone's going, well, that's good, that bit of land is being used. And then the two brothers fell out of this Turkish family, and they didn't know what to do, and there were massive arguments. And so they built a massive <laughs> fence down the middle of this bit of no man's land off the Berlin Wall. You just want to go to the whole world. Oh, guys, can't we just all get on? Yeah, like, just, now, where does that end? You know, did their sons then yeah, have a, right, you end no, up with just a grid? And more and more walls, yeah. And then there's another great story I think that you pointed out, which was painting half the houses, the lower half of the houses in uh, East Germany, because Honecker was coming through in his car mm. and they didn't have enough paint to paint the whole houses but his eyeline from his limo would only see the lower floors so the top the bottom of the houses all got painted nice and clean and the top it was still all grey and peeling oh. and falling apart but as far as Hanukkah was concerned as he was driving through this town it was, all, it was all new socialist housing yeah it's all perfect yeah well that's the thing is in, in uh, East Germany although you know they didn't go hungry in the way some no. people under communist regimes did but they didn't have choice no, of and anything, I think, I think really. The suicide rate was particularly high. I think that's something that comes across in the lives of others. I think yeah. It's one of the, maybe the second highest in the Warsaw Pact, I think, the yeah. German suicide rate, which is, um, I suppose, some sort of indicator. Yeah. And they had the, they, they tried to create their own uh, youth culture, which I think is hilarious. Oh, well, this is what, this is particularly in the 50s. Yeah. Um, in a sort state, of parallel, states, weirdly, yeah. with kind of American yeah. um, leadership, they, they had a real paranoia of, of teen culture yeah. and uh, rock and roll music yeah. and and all of that stuff that they saw very much as Western influences. But of course, that paranoia was happening in the West as well. Yes. You know, Western um, leaders were also thought that this was a dangerous yeah. cultural development. And this ties in with the nudism thing because in the early part of the regime, in the fifties and early sixties, the um, that sort of sexual repression yes. that came with the, the fit is why nudism was also not taken on by the regime at that point so there was um for example the the dance i think is what You're we're working yeah. towards so there was the lipsy. you know the, the teenagers dancing together and all the hip wiggling and the elvis yeah. stuff was seen as very sexualized and, and not good for their young people so what the regime did was develop their own dance called the lipsy and you can see it on youtube and it's a bizarre when you watch it first you're like well, it's just two people dancing. It seems perfect. And then you realise their hips don't move. That's um, That was sort of uh, decreed by the state. You've got to invent a new groovy dance. Yeah. And the young people will think this is swinging and <laughs> and, and fantastic. But it's a, the idea of uh, top-down youth culture, which yeah. is sanctioned by the party and has been agreed by committee, <laughs> and this will be what the young people are really into. It's just so... But that's how the counter- state wanted to control yeah. everything. You know, you talked earlier about the Kulturbund and, you know, everything. You're Free time was owned by the state. You yes. Know, in, if you were young, you were part of the um, FRJ. Uh, you know, What's which the is FRJ? like the sort of uh, it's the Friar. Oh God, now you're you know. Uh, yeah. uh, oh, so, anyway, it sounds, it sounds impressive. It, that you it, knew it, it's the, the um, free the sort of younger. Well, as people yeah. in the East described it, it's the Hitler Youth in different jumpers. Okay. Um, okay, so for, you know, yeah, so, so it was the youth, youth party wing, movement, the sort of right. uh, of the Communist Party. Now, there's a thing that. I, uh, a memory that triggered for me when I read about the Lipsy was that something that I'd become aware of when I was in America, that my American... FDJ, free- sorry, I've just realised FDJ, FDJ, not FRJ. Yeah, Deutsche, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is a, an American equivalent of the Lipsy, which is this... So the Lipsy was this sort of state-created 
uh, dance, but I became aware when I was reading about this of a thing in America called Up With People. And this, <laughs> maybe we should talk about this another podcast, but uh, Other People was this uh, groovy sort of uh, young generation Christian rock thing that was created in America by the moral majority who were worried about the Hendrixes and the Rolling Stones and the yeah. Bob Dylans. So they, they created their own alternative, <laughs> which was really clean living and healthy, very sort of shiny teeth and happy clappy. But it went on for years. It used to open the Super Bowl. And uh, so check out Up With People uh, if you're interested in that. There's a whole film about it called something like Smile Till It Hurts. Uh, great film about it. And of course, they're all the people creating it were all bloody uh, corrupt oh, oh, and yeah, uh, sleeping so, with prostitutes and yeah. everything. Of course, like all the sort of moral majority were and all the uh, TV evangelists. How do you say that? TV evangelists were. Uh, and uh, But it's just, I thought it was an interesting parallel with the, with the East Germans. The top-down youth culture is yeah. doomed but that, it, it's always the, and it still is the ways that the yeah. establishment it's all right for them yeah. to you know and it happens in, in states where yeah. abortion's illegal for example yes. you can bet your bottom dollar that their mistresses will yeah, absolutely. You know, able always, to get abortions yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know but in terms of uh, presenting culture they had a, the black channel what was that yeah so um, this was the TV channel yes. in East Germany that promoted East German culture over West German. And no one ever... Never, and nobody no, watched it. Nobody ever got to the end of the programme. No one knew what the closing SIG credits were like. Because no, nobody ever watched it. There would be surges on their sort of national grid as everybody turned their TV off as that programme started it. at the same time every night. That's hilarious. So um, East Germany went from uh, 1950, a population of 18.3 million. By 1990, it was down to 16.1 million. That's, you know, uh, people escaping uh, out of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, until the wall came down uh, in 89 and the country was sort of formed uh, reunification of Germany in 1990 yeah. and now we have Germany as a sort of powerhouse in Central Europe uh, Angela Merkel East came German. from the East and there yeah. are pictures of Angela Merkel in the nude uh, which you can search on the internet if you're not embarrassed <laughs> about your uh, internet browsing history yeah you might want but to use she, private browsing for yeah, that one yeah she was, a, she was a, a young nudist like so many East Germans interestingly that she is East German and so is the um President, she's the Chancellor. Yes. And the and the I think he's they call him the president, I can't remember his name, but he is the guy who was in charge after reunification of uh people the the law that was brought in that meant people had access to their Stasi files. Right. Oh, um, so actually it, this was an interesting thing I, I chatted about with Henning Vane as well, is that yeah. even though the the Easterners were seen as as being sort of downtrodden and not as intelligent or whatever. The leaders of the country now are both East German. Right. And uh, here we are, the Germany, this sort of powerhouse. Is yeah. German, is, do you know if nudism is still a thing in, in all of Germany? Or? I think it is. I mean, the yeah. FKK is certainly still a thing. And uh, yeah. if you go on European holidays, yes. you know, you go to certain destinations, you, you will see... Yeah, if you go to Greece, uh, you go to the beach, all know the Germans are taking their clothes off. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. us who need to sort of uh, uh, get over ourselves. Absolutely. Like I said, the hotel I stayed in in Fuerteventura yeah. last year was, um, when we got there, we realised it was sort of FKK friendly everywhere. And, oh, OK. You know, so it was, um, they're definitely a, a movement. That still definitely exists. a thing, but in the era of um, communist East Germany, it went from being something that was repressed by the state. Uh, nudists complained of being beaten by rubber truncheons uh, by the police, and then they said, "Well, this is what the fascists used to do to us, so you can't yeah. do that." And it went from being something that was so um, looked down on by the regime, but eventually accepted by the regime, not least because many party members and many activists themselves. Um, practiced naturism uh, yeah. as it's uh, correctly called there was a there was a tweet last week by the Huffington Post saying that David Attenborough is a naturist and they quickly corrected it <laughs> but that image is in naturalist. my head now naturalist. that's <laughs> that my my, uh, my, my boyfriend's parents <laughs> belong to their local naturalist group okay. and every time yeah. they say oh we're to the naturalist group yeah. my mind doesn't do the calculation <laughs> it has an image that you do <laughs> but, so yes and so it became accepted uh, and it was the, really the, uh, probably the only successful sort of defiance against the East German regime the only successful mm. protest until you know the wall itself came down yeah. uh, which in itself was a bit of a mistake by was? the Stasi oh, the, the yeah. fall of the wall so what happened they mm. uh, the regime announced that they would relax the right. freedom of movement rules right. between the east and west yes they were under pressure for, perestroika was happening in Russia yes. they were under pressure to, to reform really yes so they announced that they would be uh, lifting the restrictions on movement between east yes. and west and then what happened? They had a sort of press conference, 
and the spokesperson at the press conference hadn't been correctly briefed. And I think what the regime wanted to do was announce that this is something that would be happening in the future. Oh, I see. But the, so the press said, well, when? When is yeah. this happening? And he was like, well, it's happening now. And they were like, bye. Right. <laughs> Off they wow. all went, okay. you know, and suddenly... And, and, and suddenly the, the, the force of the crowd was too much. And I Absolutely. And by that point... And then, of course, what happened then, all the Stasi officers quickly had to go, went to the Stasi offices and were just shredding, shredding and burning. And they realised it was up. I mean, actually, the game was up, yeah. 600 border guards defected during, you know, the period of East Germany. So lots of them, the best way of getting out was getting a job as job, a border yeah, guard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, defected. you couldn't shoot yourself running the, across the, no man's land. The, the guy who scored the goal for East Germany in 1974 defected himself later, yeah. a few years later. I have a little bit of uh, Berlin Wall somewhere that a friend of mine bought back from that uh, autumn of um, 1989. I remember there's a guy on the telly, an East... German border guard who said, it is very bad. I will lose my job. Yeah. <laughs> you can't help but feeling that you're not really seeing the bigger picture no, here, mate. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the Berlin Wall is coming down. And there was a, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and Europe's map has changed forever. And there was another little wall in a little town in Bavaria. Berlin wasn't the only wall. There was a little, mm. there was a little place, and I read it down somewhere with a, uh, uh, a funny name. Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, Mudlaruth am Tambak had a little wall across it for its 50 people to keep them away from Bavaria. <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, their wall came down as well. Um, but in terms of walls generally, I want to show you this picture and talk about, you know, the German attitude to body, the, the body and you know, bodily mm. functions. Germans, in East Germany, the toilet cubicles didn't have walls. There were no walls between the toilets. So that's Oh, my goodness. You're showing me a picture of a row of toilets next to each other. Yes, for sitting down and uh, having a poo right next to the other person. I think they've gone too far. Yeah, that is a step too far. To to sit next to, you know, some bloke and uh, wipe your bottom next to some stranger is going too far. I think we can agree in this country. So that is why... You know, vive la difference. Vive la difference. Between, Absolutely. You know, I'm happy Britain to be a repressed Germany. English non nudist. <laughs> Thank you very much. Speaking of someone. which, John, can I put my clothes back on now? Okay. Yes, um, so we should have explained that we got into it by uh, really going for the whole uh, natural look here in my kitchen. The poor dog has <laughs> stopped looking away. I think that's probably a good, uh, hefty look at nudism in East Germany. Absolutely. Um, and I think for recommended reading would definitely be Stasiland by Anna Funder. Absolutely. To watch uh, Goodbye Lenin and the Lives of Others. Although yes. one thing I would say about the lives of others is um, it's a, it's quite a romanticised version of what happened in terms of the Stasi officer in it who was beautifully portrayed by that actor who sadly passed away. He also played Hitler in Downfall. Oh, God. Um, Him, yeah. And he died a couple of years ago. Really excellent film. However, it is worth remembering that, that he could never have behaved the way he did because part of the Stasi regime was no single person ever had control over of an course, operation. Of course, of course. They're all not only watching the state, they're all watching each other as each, well. Exactly. So there's yeah. no way one person would have had yeah. that yes. connection uh, without anyone else noticing. Yes, and then there's the Gunter Grass uh, short story. There's Democracy by Michael Frayn. The People's State by Mary Fulbrook. The Saddled Cow by Anne McElvoy, if these are in your library. And Inventing a Socialist Nation by Jan Palmowski. There's your further reading Tweet us, tell us if there's uh, stuff that we, you feel we missed out. We'll maybe um, come back to it if there's something major that you feel we if should... Anything we think we want to talk about, basically yeah. just anything that's, uh, you know, something that happened in history that triggers off... Yes, um, anything in the olden days. That's in the, the olden peri- that's the days. we're concentrating Not in 2001, on. please. Yes, something that doesn't make us feel old. Yeah. <laughs> that's We're History. All right, catch you next time. Bye.